0: Good morning, Church. Good morning. I'm going to start with a little story this morning about how I came to this sermon. A short time ago, Dale received an email from a young evangelist, now in the Calmet Church of Christ, who had been doing work in New Zealand. And this young man sent along an article entitled, Evangelism, It's What We Do. After reading the article, my thoughts turned to Timothy. Timothy, his name meaning honoring God, was still a young man, but was one of the most faithful laborers of Paul. He was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother named Eunice. His mother and grandmother Lois taught Timothy the holy scriptures from his childhood. Timothy is the model of a devoted and faithful servant of the Lord. And so I wondered, what we might learn from Paul's letters to Timothy concerning our own devotion and service. The idea of being devoted to God, being willing to serve God under all circumstances. Paul's purpose in writing to Timothy is to focus on the responsibilities and godly character of the evangelist, preacher, teacher. Paul is mentoring Timothy and helping him prepare to be able to do the job that God tasks him with in preaching the gospel. We do not know a lot about Timothy's life before. Scripture tells us that Timothy was a person of good reputation. He was well spoken of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. He knew the Old Testament scriptures and he was dedicated to God. From what we know, I would suggest that Timothy was well known among the brethren whom Paul was writing to, both among the Jews and also among the Gentile congregations. We might say that Timothy was Paul's protege and would be someone to follow in Paul's steps in preaching the gospel. So let's look now in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Well, Paul tells us the purpose of his writing. 1 Timothy 3 and 15, Paul tells him, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. When we look at the general context of the epistles, we might come away with the idea, well, I'm not going to be a preacher, so what's in that for me? I don't plan on being an evangelist. I'm not going to follow in Paul's footsteps in that regard. Is there anything here that is for me? Well, first, I'm reminded that it is responsibility of all of us to teach the gospel. we be amiss to believe that there is nothing in these epistles, including what is said specifically about Timothy's personal responsibilities, that is not applicable to ourselves. I believe this really comes into view in the passages I want us to look at this morning. And we will start now in the next chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 12, 1 Timothy 4 and 12. Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When we think about being a Christian, about living the Christian life, do we picture ourselves as being examples? Do we picture ourselves as individuals that others look up to and consider following in our footsteps? Paul wants Timothy to be an example. What does that mean? How are we to see that as something that we can apply to ourselves? Paul begins by telling Timothy, let no one despise your youth. How old would you think that Timothy was when he received this letter? Was he a teenager? Probably not. The Greek word for youth or youthfulness, neotes, was used to describe the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 verse 20, And scholars tell us that in this culture, someone could be called a youth until they were up to 40 years old. So when we think about Timothy, I suspect that we could picture him as a man and maybe in his early thirties, maybe his mid thirties, but somewhere around there at this time. Could Timothy's age get in the way of him preaching the gospel? There is a sense in which Timothy's position as a young man, being a teacher or an instructor, might very well have this obstacle. What Paul tells Timothy is let no one despise your youth. Do not let anyone dismiss you or what you say because of your age. The original word for despise is a compound word meaning disdain. Think little of, Think nothing of, disregard, think against, disesteem. What the word means here is to look down on someone, to discount them or dismiss them because of their age. You despise someone by thinking that what they are saying really does not matter, and therefore you despise them. Now, this does not necessarily mean the idea of hate. That's something we seem to have added in recent years. It can simply mean you do not regard them or you think of them lightly in terms of what they're saying or doing. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the same word is used to describe the aspect of our approach to God. Romans 2 and 4 says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? To not give something serious thought, to just consider it in a trivial way, is the meaning of the word despise. Paul was concerned about that for Timothy, and if you were to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 starting at verse 10, it says, now if Timothy comes, he's writing to Corinthians, you know, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to not despise, discount Timothy. There may have been a tendency, because of Timothy's age, by others who were listening to him to think, well, he's a young guy, he doesn't really know what he's talking about, he doesn't know the depth. Yeah, gray hair has its perks, People tend to take you more seriously if you're older. This is especially true in regard to leadership or instruction. A younger person may be viewed as inexperienced and many times those who are older are unwilling to be instructed or corrected by someone that is younger. One of the perks of great gray hair, rightly or wrongly, is it shows people you might have a little more experience in life and therefore They give you a little bit more credibility than someone who is young. Let's say you've been on your job a number of years and they bring in this new person who is now your boss, 20 years, your junior. How are you going to listen to this person? After all, you've been on the job longer than he's been alive. Sometimes it is a challenge for older folks to listen to the younger. I think it is because we put a premium on the aspect of experience, sometimes rightly so, or we might dismiss the individual simply because they are young. Thinking about this in context of teaching the gospel, Timothy was tasked with an enormously important job. He was commanded to teach others on some very personal subjects, money, submission, discipline, He was to be involved in the appointment of elders and deacons and give instructions concerning the role of men and women in the church. He's going to even have to rebuke an older person on occasion and Paul tells us it needs to be done in the right way. Paul says if a person is in sin, you have to recognize that they are in sin. It is this aspect of instructing someone of correcting someone, Timothy will need to talk about subjects to other people who have more experience than his. For example, how to live life in a self-disciplined way and be in control of your passions. Who do you think has more experience in that, older person or a younger person? How is that going to work for this young man in attempting to teach older people these things or give instructions about the role of men and women? or talk to them about marriage. That poses a difficult obstacle for a person who's going to lead or teach. Paul says to Timothy up front, do not allow anyone to discount you or dismiss you because you are a younger person. It is not based upon the aspect of your age or even your experience. The things you're going to deliver come from a higher source. He's putting Timothy in the right frame of mind to understand the authority by which he would teach and how he should approach others. Paul also makes a point about God's willingness to use a person in a significant role in spiritual matters. Back in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, talking about the qualifications of an elder, he says, Not a novice lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Paul tells Timothy, if a person is going to lead a congregation, he needs not to be a novice. Novice here means a new convert or a neophyte. The elevation of a recent convert to the eldership might generate inordinate pride in their part. And therefore, whenever possible, men of settled experience in living the Christian life should be chosen for that job. Experience has something to do with the aspect of positions of leadership. Going back to youth now, there are several occasions in Scripture where God tells us through example that he is willing to use a young person in a very prominent role. Joseph was a young man when he was in Egypt, resisting the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He was setting an example of faith, and God blessed him. When David met Goliath in the valley, he was just a young person. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy, and good looking. Goliath disdained the young pup before him. And how did that all turn out? From the standpoint of David and Goliath, the young person was not at a disadvantage as long as that young person was faithful to God and serving him. Daniel, when he was a young person in Babylon, was elevated to the very highest levels of the court. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, teach great lessons of dedication and faith to us. Those young people were beacons of godliness in the very dark society in which they lived. In the book of James, as we have been studying, we have seen God is not a respecter of persons, and we are not to be either. We are not to show preference or disregard to people. I would suggest to you that this is what Paul was talking about when he says, let not one despise your youth. Older people need to be careful not to despise them or disdain them simply because they are young. Young people can be enormously useful tools in God's kingdom for expressing faith and showing godliness. We need to be careful not to get caught up in this generational gap of society and then apply it to the kingdom of God. Well, a question came to my mind in this. Was Paul concerned about what others thought of Timothy? His job was to be making known the gospel, preaching and teaching, Our job is also to teach others the gospel. Was Timothy to be concerned about what others thought or said about him? Did it matter? Let's consider it from both sides. Paul was concerned enough about how Timothy would be received among the Jews that he was willing to circumcise Timothy to offset the stigma of his father being a Greek. Since circumcision had nothing to do with his salvation, Paul was displaying some pragmatism in regard to Timothy's evangelic efforts. There was no compromise of the truth in that. In his letter to Timothy, Paul is concerned that Timothy's age might present an obstacle that needed to be addressed. Yet, Paul tells Timothy not to allow the opinions or assessments of others to get in the way of preaching the truth. Paul instructs him later to reprove. Rebuke, preach the word in season, out of season, when they want to hear it and when they don't. That's Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. So there is a sense in which Paul is telling Timothy, do not be concerned about what others think of you. Preach the word. How could Timothy obey Paul's command here? His age was something he could not control or change. The solution was not for Timothy to acquiesce to the detractors or alter the message. How does God want us to be concerned about people and what they think of us? Does he want us to go ahead and do what he wants us to do anyway? Well, I ask this rather obvious question for the same re- for the reason that we need to recognize the same type of concern and lack of concern needs to be a part of our teaching as well. It is a part of our character as Christians that we do care, but we do not care what others think of us. We make concessions in our life, things that do not impact our salvation, do not compromise the truth so that the Word of God, the important element can be heard and received. How does Timothy obey this command? Does he do it by saying, you people are just a bunch of old stick in the muds? You don't know anything? I'm smarter than you are. You're not gonna talk down to me. Is that what Paul is telling him to do? Is he telling Timothy to just discount them because they discount you? Or is he telling Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, so make sure you appeal to these folks. Just tell them what they wanna hear or at least be accommodating to them? No. The solution for Timothy being despised as a young teacher was not in Timothy himself. Could he do anything about his age? No. Could he just teach what they wanted to hear and still serve the Lord? No. Yet there was something he could do about being despised as a young person preaching the gospel, and that's what Paul's solution focuses upon. He says, be an example to the believers. Paul's solution focused on something that Timothy could control. He could live as a mature person, even though he was considered to be younger. He could exemplify the character of God's words and the character of Christ in his life. He could be an example, not just an example to the world, but what Paul tells Timothy is he is to be an example to other believers. Paul's answer is rooted into his relationship with Jesus. That happens so many times when the apostle presents a problem to us. That's a spiritual problem. The solution to that problem is not found in me. It is not found in what I can do right. It is not found in what I do wrong. It is found in whether or not I have a relationship with God and whether or not, I am fulfilling that relationship. It's not about Timothy. It was not about Paul. Paul is saying, if you want to be able to deal with this aspect of being despised as a young teacher, then you need to live what you preach. If you want people to accept what you say, then live it. And they'll not be able to despise your youth. This is how you get the respect you need. You live before Christians like Christ lived and be an example to them. The Greek word here, tupos, which is translated as example, means a die, as in something that is struck. That is, by implication, a stamp, by analogy, a shape, a statue, figuratively, a style or a resemblance, especially a sample or type. A model, for example. A model is an instance or perhaps a warning. Example, fashion, figure, form, manner, pattern, print. It is the aspect of something that is as it ought to be. The idea of example means a pattern to follow. And that goes back to our question at the beginning of the lesson Do you consider your life before Christ in that perspective? God wants me to be an example. He wants each of us to be an example to others. He wants us to be someone that others would follow. We all know that we need to follow Jesus. And again, that same word is used to describe Jesus as an example to us. Now the Puritan Thomas Brooks had many interesting sayings, but I'm gonna say one here. He said, example is the most powerful rhetoric. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Being an example is a powerful way to talk. The element of personal obedience will make or break the words of teaching. I either live it or I do not. It doesn't make any difference how my words flow or how powerfully I can speak them. If I cannot live it, then that destroys the ability of individuals to be believers. And when we teach, if the example is not there, then the words lose their force. If the example is there, then our words gain understanding in the listener. Think about learning math. You may not understand what the instructor is saying, but in seeing and working the examples, it usually becomes quite clear. There is a sense in which seeing someone live it out helps me understand what it means. Well, we see that in life, don't we? In scriptures, we read about being submissive, about not provoking our children to wrath. And as a young person, I thought, what does that mean? How does that play out in my life? And then through observation, I have seen women who submitted themselves to the leadership of their husbands, of parents who sacrificed for their children, I've seen a father who understood this and who disciplined his children without enlisting any rebellion in the heart of the child. Now I know what it means. I know by example. The example made it possible for me to understand it. And that is also an aspect of personal evangelism. In your life as someone who serves God and wants to teach others, if the words are all that is there, If there is no example, or if there is a negative example, then the words lose their force. Conversely, if the example is there, then the words carry the weight of authenticity. I know what's being said, and now I know the power of what's being said. It doesn't make any difference if it's coming from the life of someone who is old, someone who has gray hair or black hair or no hair. It is the person living it. We may not necessarily make application to it as much as we should, but Paul speaks of the imperative of the role of an example when he wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 16, he said, "'Therefore, I urge you, imitate me.'" And we say, I thought we were supposed to imitate Jesus. How can Paul say we're supposed to imitate him? Well, Paul was a follower of Jesus and said, if you imitated Paul, you imitated Jesus. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. The whole idea is that being an example is a powerful element in the teaching process. In Philippians 3 and 17, brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says later in Philippians 4 and 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The writer of Hebrews exhorted his readers to remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. That is the practical way of looking at a person's life and realizing that the purpose of what they're doing in addition to obeying God is to set an example. That's what a leader should do, isn't it? Not just tell people what to do, but do it themselves. And then people will follow them. Of course, the greatest example of this was Jesus. In 1 Peter 2 and 21, Peter said, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. It is not only that Jesus taught this subject or that subject, but in the context, it is that Jesus suffered, that he was willing to suffer for the cause of what he was teaching, and so he lived it. What was Timothy to show others? What Paul is telling Timothy is you're called to follow a pattern and you are called to be a pattern for other people. Timothy is to show, by example, what it means to be a believer. How does he do this? Be an example in speech. Preachers or teachers need to learn how to say the right words. When we teach, we need to know our subject, which is one of the reasons we study. Not all teaching is done in a public forum, and I strongly suspect from reading Paul's letters to Timothy, that Paul was not just referring to Timothy's public speaking either. I'm convinced that Paul was talking about Timothy's private conversations as well. Nothing reveals us quicker or more decisively than our speech. Why would people open their ears to our teaching if the words we speak at other times are ungodly? Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse 49, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Through carefully choosing words, the young preacher shows themselves to be more mature. Jesus teaches that the mouth reveals the contents of the heart. What proceeds from the lips is a direct result of what has been planted in the mind. Paul is telling Timothy to impart wisdom and counsel to other people You first must show them by what you are doing that you know what you're talking about. Be an example in conduct. The word for conduct and astrophe in our text means behavior or manner of life. Timothy needs to exhibit his faith in every area of life. James said in James chapter 3 at verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Peter often spoke of the place of personal conduct in evangelism. In 1 Peter 2, verse 12, it says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And in 1 Peter 3 and 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You live it even though they try to say bad things about you and slander you. They do not agree with what you're saying, but they cannot dismiss the fact that you're living it in your own life. Philippians 1 and 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What if others never heard your words, but simply did what you did? Where would that lead them? Would that be enough to show them Christ? Our conduct is not just a reflection on us or the church, but on Christ whose name we wear. Satan has done a very, very good job convincing the world to discount Christ because of the ungodly conduct of those who claim to serve Christ. That's tragic. Be an example in love. Paul told Timothy earlier, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The message was to be motivated by a genuine love for others and a concern for their spiritual welfare. That love needs to be integrated into Timothy's words and life so that others may see it. Others can tell when we're approaching them out of love or some ulterior motive. Others can see if we're teaching and preaching because we love God or we love the praise of men. Jesus did not seek to impress people with his knowledge or to berate them with the truth. It says, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd, Matthew 9, verse 36. No one can preach like the good shepherd if they do not love his sheep. Look at how Paul describes his ministry to the people that he is teaching. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, at verse 4, but as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Be an example in spirit. The word pneuma sometimes is used to describe passion or emotions, and certainly a preacher or teacher must have their emotions under control. But the word also refers to the disposition of a person. One writer describes it, its use here, as the disposition of the heart that causes the servant to want to serve. This, again, seems to point to motivation. Timothy was to be an example of proper motivation for serving God, an example of a spirit that does not give up in adversity, a spirit that perseveres to the end. Be an example in faith. Now, we've studied about faith, and the faith here is not simply belief, but faithfulness or trust in God. There were troublesome times ahead for the early church, and Timothy was in the forefront to lead the way through by being an example of unswerving commitment unlike Hymenaeus and Alexander who suffered the shipwreck of their faith in 1 Timothy 1 and 19. Timothy was to continue fighting the good fight, thus encouraging God's people to stay the course. Be an example in purity. This Greek word for purity is a word that closely is related to the aspect of holiness, and it means moral cleanliness or moral virtue. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. First Timothy 5 verses 1 and 2. Paul's telling young Timothy, this is how you got to relate to the people in your congregation. The older man, they are like your father and you treat them with respect. The older women, they are like your mother, so give them honor. Listen to their counsel and advice and do not discount them. The younger men, they are your brothers. You stand beside them and you do not desert them. The younger women, they're your sisters. You treat them as sisters in all purity. An example is the most powerful rhetoric. The value of a godly life cannot be underestimated in any way. We recognize that God wants us to teach the truth, but our ability to teach that truth relies on our willingness to live that truth. A teacher's words will be considered, but only in the light of what they say and the light of what they do. We've only looked at one verse in this section. It can't be isolated from the context of the passages around it, however. In the words that follow, Paul provides more counsel to Timothy toward the goal of godliness, how he ought to be able to teach the gospel successfully. Paul says, give attention to reading, to meditation, exhortation, and give attention to doctrine. Use the gift that God has given you. Don't discount or treat lightly the gift that is within you, provided by God, and commit yourself wholly to it. Live it out. Pretty simple, isn't it? How can a young man or woman be successful in expounding the gospel to others? How can people be influential in presenting the gospel of Christ to people who are not Christians? Paul says, you live what God has given you. If you're going to teach about meekness, then be meek. If you're going to teach about love, then exhibit love. If you're going to tell people they need to obey God, then obey God yourself. If you expect people to sacrifice, then be out front of them as a sacrifice first for God in your own life. And Satan has no answer for that, does he? We learn from the New Testament how to be saved. We need to hear the word, believe in Jesus, repent of our sins. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the son of God and be baptized for the remission of our sins. And then if we follow these steps, the Lord adds us to his church. Perhaps there is someone in the assembly today with the need to be buried with Christ in baptism. If you've never done these things, we urge you to do them today. If anyone has this need or desires the prayers of faithful Christians on their behalf, we encourage them to come forward while we stand and sing.